0: Good morning, Warehouse Church. Good morning. It is, I mean, we've had church already, haven't we? Man, it's so good. Welcome to those of you that are worshiping with us online as well. And uh, man, I love, like I said, I love baptism Sundays. I love when people go in the water. I love, I love Dakota's story because I love that even when Dakota, and I'm going to brag on him, I, I might embarrass him. He's out of the room, so that's okay. I think he's still gone. Um, man, he was witnessing to others in rehab. Like he was telling others about Jesus every day. And he had a burden for the people that he was with because God has made a difference and an impact in his life. And so I love that. And just keep praying for Dakota. Let's let's just keep encouraging him and surround him and be a family because he's a part of our family. He's a brother in Christ. And so we need to do that. And, uh, and so today we're in this series called Life on Purpose, and we've been talking about discovering our purpose, we've been talking about how do we live a life on purpose, we're talking about what is God's purpose for my life, and we've been covering a lot of ground, and today we want to continue in that conversation. And, uh, and I want to start by telling you a story that a pastor uh, I heard tell a story. Uh, he was working in construction, so he was planning a church, and uh, to, so to help plant the church and to help uh, put food on the table, he was doing construction work on the side, and, uh, and he recalls uh, working with this one particular homeowner that was memorable in his, in his, in his mind. It's uh, a guy by the name of Jeff. And Jeff wanted to do a remodel on his house, and so Jeff wanted to uh, redo his kitchen, and uh, he wanted to replace the floor, put some new tile in, he wanted to get new counters, he wanted to get new countertops, he wanted to get some new appliances, and then he also wanted to give the backyard, uh, his backyard, a little bit of a facelift, like it needed some landscaping and cement work and some, some fencing done to it. And so he called this pastor over, and, and the pastor wrote up a bid, and, and they agreed to the price, and then the remodel began. And, uh, and, and he shares about how about a week into the project, Jeff, the homeowner, he comes running out of his house and he looked like Doc Brown from Back to the Future, his hair all sticking up and he's like, just running frantically down the hill of the backyard. And, and he says, what are you doing? He's like, my yard is a complete mess. It looks crazy, it looks a mess. And, and, and the pastor like pauses and tells him to stop, reintroduces himself, says, hey Jeff, remember, I'm the guy that you hired to do a job here and we're doing a remodel. You hired me to do this. And Jeff's like, I know, I know I did that. And I know who you are, but I've got company coming over and my house, it's destroyed. It looks a mess. He goes, Come, look at the kitchen. And he he pulls the pastor into the kitchen and they walk into the kitchen together. And he's like, Where's my cabinets? And where's my refrigerator? And the pastor's like, Well, Jeff, remember, you asked for a remodel. And so we're taking down the cabinets so we can put new ones up And, and the fridge. We took out the fridge so we could put the new one in. And 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 the pastor replies, Jeff, remember. Remember, remember in the bid that we did that you asked for these things. And so, it was, so we're taking out the old to put in the new. And Jeff replied, I can't believe this, though. He's like, I can't believe this. I can't believe that everything looks a mess. He's like, I've got people coming over and it looks a mess. And so they sat down, Jeff and the pastor, they sat down at the, at the kitchen table and had a two-hour conversation. And, and, and after a two-hour conversation about how remodeling and construction works, Jeff says these words. He says, I think, I think I didn't realize. I didn't realize what all would be necessary for this remodel. Like I never imagined how, it would, how long it would take. And the pastor responded, well, well Jeff, it's only been a week. And, and to completely transform the entire landscaping in your backyard, to completely remodel your kitchen, it's going to take a few weeks. It's going to take some time. And Jeff finally realized you finally realize that you have to tear everything down so that you can rebuild everything back up. That everything was a mess now because it was all going to be new later. And for so many of us, for so many of us, when it comes to God transforming the inside of our lives, like Jeff, we say, I want you, God, I want you to renovate my heart, but I want you to leave the old stuff too. Like, I, I, don't make a mess, God. Don't, don't change too much. And we're like, God, I, I want to walk in your purposes, but let me do it my way. And God looks at us, and with all love and all compassion, he says, but that's not the way it works. Like, that's not the way it works. You saw the bid. You saw how much it costs to renovate your heart. And God's like, I just wish you would just say yes. Yes. I wish you would just say, more of you, God, and less of me. I wish you would just say, God, you can take everything. You can take it all. You can do whatever you want to transform my life. It reminds me of an actual court case, like a legit court case that took place in 2016 where a man filed a restraining order against God. He said that God was, making, was messing up his life too much. And the case was thrown out and the judge, because the judge said, well, I don't have jurisdiction over heaven. That was funny, y'all. Y'all should laugh a little bit. Like, where's your joy? But that's just like us. Like, we're the same way. Like, we say, God, do whatever you want, but I don't want you to mess this up, and I don't want you to mess that up. I don't want you to move this, and I don't want you to do anything to this part of my life. We often say that. And when it comes to our theme verse in this series, the verse that we've kind of been anchoring to, we're reminded that it says this, it says in Christ, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. That it's in Christ, he's going to show us, Jesus is going to show us who we are, our identity. And it's going to impact what we do, our activity. And why? Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we focus on Jesus? Well, we said it last week. We said, because we become what we look at. We become what we focus on. And God is saying, look at me. He's shouting it from the heavens. Look at me and focus on the work of my son. Because if you do, your life will be transformed forever. Forever. So we find our identity in God, and we find our character in Christ. Our identity matters, and living the character of Christ also matters. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And this is called sanctification. It's just a big, fancy theological word that simply means transformation. It's the process of transforming our lives to become more like Jesus. You see, we say yes to Jesus, that's salvation. And after we say yes, God begins the renovation of our hearts. And that's sanctification. That's the transformation or the transforming of our lives. And that's when we have to say, Lord, do whatever you need to do with my life take it all. You have free reigns, remodel, renovate, transform, renew, restore my life. You do whatever you want. Take it all. You see, sanctification is the process where we allow God to do whatever he wants because he's the boss. We allow God to do whatever he wants. And we don't give him rules and we don't give him boundaries and we don't say, you can have this room in my life, but you can't have this room. You can touch this, but you can't touch that. We say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, do what you want. Because I want to walk in the purposes that you have for me. And you see, we need to fully understand this next part. We need to understand that God cares about your character more than about your comfort he cares about your character more than your comfort he's not here to pamper you he's here to perfect you and this idea of being conformed into the image of christ is not a new concept it's something that comes right out of the bible and paul talks about it or begins to talk about it in romans chapter 8 and here's what he says in uh, verse 28 of romans chapter 8 he says and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. And we like that verse. Like we know that verse, we like that verse because it says that everything, that God will take everything and make it good. So when life is not going our well, we anchor ourselves to this verse that God will make everything good for those who love him. Then we get to the next part, verse 29, and it says this, Paul says, for God knew his people, that's you, for God knew you in advance. He knew you before you were born. He knew you before uh, you were thought of. He knew you before your parents got together. God has always known you. And it says this, and he chose, he chose them to become like his sin. God chose you to become like Jesus. He chose you. Not only did he know you, but he chose you from the very beginning of time. He chose you And his desire is for you to become like Jesus so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we talked about this last week. We said, listen, those of us that have said yes to Jesus, those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, that we are now children of the living God, that we are sons and daughters of Jesus or of God. But you're not an only child. And some of us think we're an only child, but we're not. And the goal is to look more and more like Jesus every day of our lives. And if we're gonna look more and more like Jesus, that means that our character is also going to look more and more like Jesus. You see, character is a big deal in our lives. It's a big deal. Charles Spurgeon uh, said this. He said, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when forget-me-nots have withered. He says, carve your name on hearts and not on marble. You see, in scripture, the word character comes from the Greek word meaning tools for engraving. It literally means to make a mark. That we have been here and our purpose is to leave a mark. And one of the ways that we leave a mark is by our character. Character matters. It's what happens when we walk in a room. Because here's the reality and the truth is people are either excited when we arrive or they're excited when we leave. They're either excited when we come into a room or they're excited when we leave the room. And we get to decide which one it's going to be. We get to decide based upon our character whether people want to see us come or they'd rather see us go. And I want my character to be such that people say, Rick, I'm so glad you're here because when I see you, I see a bit of Jesus. I don't see the whole picture because you've got some kinks to work out. But I see a part of you. Because my heart's desire and the way that I live my life and part of my purpose is that I want others to see Jesus through my life. As a matter of fact, uh, my purpose statement from kazone we've shared all of our executive team's Kazone uh, purpose statement with you, and I haven't shared mine yet, but mine is this, that it's three parts. I'm here to love my family, that my purpose is to love my family, it's to make it easy for others to meet Jesus, and it's to lead the local church into the future, And I wanna make it easy for people to see Jesus in me. I wanna make it easy for people to want Jesus in their lives. Listen, we are all called to be image bearers of God. Every single one of us who has put our faith in Jesus, we are called to be his image bearers. We are called to leave a mark. You are here to leave a mark. So how, how do we develop this kind of character that transforms the world around us? How, how do we do that? Well, our character is the one thing that separates us from everyone else. If we would have the character of Jesus in our lives, we would be different and everything would be different. The goal of our lives is to be Christ-like. And if we want to achieve that, We have to be in Christ and we have to be in His Word. Like the only way we can grasp and fully understand the character of God is by being in His Word. That's how we get to know Him. So today I want to talk, I want to look at a passage that talks about this dominant theme throughout Scripture of being in Christ. And it's in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. If you've got your Bible app, go ahead and open it to Philippians, the book of Philippians. And let me just share with you a little bit about it. Paul, the apostle Paul, who we talked about and his buddy Silas, they go to Philippi and they share the good news of Jesus with the people. And it's exciting and a church begins and then Paul he goes to prison because prisons like his home away from home. It's like Paul gets arrested constantly and thrown in prison for sharing the gospel or the good news. So Paul goes to prison and he writes he writes this letter of encouragement to the people in Philippi. And in fact, the book of Philippians is considered by many theologians as a manual for joy. It's a manual for joy. It talks about the experience that we have in Christ and how it can change our entire perspective on our lives. And so if you need joy in your life, let me just invite you to read the book of Philippians. But right now, let's turn to Philippians chapter two and look at verses one through 11 together. Starting in verse one, Paul says, therefore, says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, he says, verse three, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul is saying, listen, there's going to be this character within us that could propel us to walking in our purpose and walking in joy. And it begins or starts with unity. It all begins with unity. And if it starts with unity, then here's the truth, is that I need to allow unity to drive my decisions. I need to allow unity to drive my decisions. When it comes to my life, and when it comes to living in my purpose, I let unity drive every decision. And so if you're wondering what your purpose is, I promise you, I promise you that God is not saying hey, listen, I need you to be more divisive. Like I need you to be uh, really mean and I need you to put people down every chance you get. Yeah, that's my purpose for you. Like that's never God's purpose for anyone. God is saying to us through this passage that we need to let unity drive your decisions. And this is how we cure the division that's taking place in the world we live in today. Paul was, and Paul, the apostle Paul was serious about unity. Like he was serious about it. In fact, in chapter four, just a couple chapters later, he calls out two people in the church by name and says, listen, y'all need to get it together. I mean, can you imagine if we got a letter from Paul today? I mean, just think about it. I'm opening up. Hey guys, we got a letter from Paul today. Let's read it. And, And it says, hey, Warehouse Church, I love you guys. I love what you're doing in Eastern Kentucky, but I just want to talk about Rick and James for a minute. Like you guys, you two just need to get it figured out. Like that's exactly, now me and James, we don't have beef, but that's exactly what happened. Paul calls out the disunity that is happening in the church and he calls out two people by name and tells them to figure it out. And why? because in Paul's mind and character is a big deal, and the character of unity is a really big deal. Paul's saying, listen, unity has got to drive every single decision, because when it doesn't, it begins to fracture relationships. That when there's disunity, when there's backstabbing, when there's gossip, when there's people talking about one another in negative ways, relationships began to be fractured. And so Paul's like, y'all church, you gotta figure it out. Unity has to drive every decision. This was the way Jesus lived. As a matter of fact, Jesus prayed for the church today. Back in the day, he prayed for our church and that we would be a church that was unified in one spirit and one purpose. And Paul's like, it's gotta be the way of the church. Like, it's gotta be like the, what you hear in the Mandalorian. This is the way. Unity. This is the way. So Paul says, if you have any encouragement, he, he details, he says, if you have any encouragement from being in Christ, make my joy complete. And now, how? He says, make my joy complete by being like minded. That's unity. Any comfort from his love, then have the same love. That's unity. Any common sharing in the Spirit, then be one in spirit. That's unity. Any uh, tenderness and compassion be of one mind. That's unity. If you modeled unity in your relationships, they would be radically different. If we would let unity drive every decision, everything would be different. Imagine if this is how we functioned as a church. I mean, just, let's just focus on our church for a minute. If you could hide around any corner in the church... And you could listen in on people's conversations. And you could hear people talking about you and all they had to say were good things. That would be letting unity drive every decision. Because all they could do is say good things about you. Not because you're perfect, but because we are all of the same mind and one spirit and we have the same love and we are like-minded. So we must let unity drive every decision imagine if there was so much unity in this building that it almost made you sick like it's like oh it makes me so sick that we're always speaking so well of one another no more disunity no matter what and if you had a problem that you would follow matthew chapter 18 and you would go straight to the person that you had a problem with paul says this is how we should function as a church having the same mind, having the same spirit, the same love. This is walking in your purpose. You want to know what walking in your purpose looks like? It's living a life of unity. And if we live like this, if we lived a life of unity, if we lived a life where unity drove every decision we made, it would transform our home life. But it wouldn't only just transform our home life, it would transform your work life. And it would transform every relationship that you ever had. If we let unity drive every decision we made, we would be unstoppable as a church. You would walk in a room and the atmosphere would begin to change immediately. People would start unifying around the fact that God is good and it's good to be near him. And it's changing, the. it would change the way that everyone viewed the world. If we would allow unity to drive every decision. I used to, uh, I used to coach high school football, uh, for many years. I was, a. Uh, Uh, I had three jobs on the football team. Uh, I was the chaplain, number one, uh, the team chaplain. Number two, I was responsible for the kicker because there's something about the kicker needed one person to be on them at all times. And so anytime the kicker had to go out there and kick a field goal, hey, kicker, it's time to go out there and get a field goal. Anytime, uh, it, I was always responsible for the kicker. If he left the tee out on the field, hey, don't forget your tee. You know, you'd have to run back and get it, all these things. So I was responsible for the kicker. I was the team chaplain. And then my third job, my least favorite job, I was commissioned to make sure that every one of our players had their butt pads in their, their, their jerseys. It was It was horrible. Like one game, it took one game where about three or four of our guys, they didn't like wear their butt pads, and the referees caught on to it. I don't know why. I'm not going to go there, but they did. And, and, and so the game was, we got penalized, a big penalty. And so every game, uh, the coach would look at me, the head coach, Coach Sneed, I love him, still love him to, the, to this day. He would look at me and say, Connor, make sure everyone's got a butt pad. I'm like, really? Like me? I have to do, yep, you got to go do it. Make sure everyone's got a butt pad. And so... My favorite part of the, of the job of working with the high school football team was being their chaplain. And, uh, and we had a midweek a devotional. I'd show up after practice. I'd bring popsicles. Everybody would gather around, and we'd have a devotion in the middle of the f- uh, practice field. And then on game night, I would uh, give them a little a pep talk r- at the game day meal, and we'd have, meal, we'd have spaghetti. They always had spaghetti, carb up, and we'd have spaghetti together, and I'd give them a little pep talk. And then at halftime, give them another little pep talk. And I loved that. And I loved walking around at practice and praying with them and encouraging them. And, uh, and, and so one of the things that we often would talk about is this idea of unity. And we talk about how unified teams are winning teams. And we talked about how that everyone is working for the common good of the team, that there's no superstars, there's no one person, that there's that common phrase, there's no I and team, but that unity mattered. And we talked about that often and uh, so often. This idea of being unified, one team, one spirit, one purpose. And so Paul is telling us, listen, church, he's saying unity matters. You must have the character of unity. And then Paul in verse three, he goes on and he gives us some character killers. He says, listen, unity matters, but let me give you some things that will kill character quickly. He says in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And this is hard And this is hard for us because self-importance is often a goal that we chase after. Like we want to be the most important person in the room. We want the title. Uh, We want people to look at us. We're like, look at me, look at what I did. And I I just want to be more important. And when it comes to living our purpose, well, maybe that shouldn't be our goal to be number one. Maybe that's not our goal, to be the most important person in the room. Maybe that shouldn't be our goal. In fact, the word vain conceit in the Greek means simply empty glory. It's a worthless desire for glory. And Paul says, these are character killers. Like, be aware of these things because they will kill your character. And then he goes on and he talks about this self-seeking motive in verses three and four. And he says, rather in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And Paul's saying, listen, if you want unity, if you want unity to take over, you must stop these self-seeking motives. Because the truth is, every conflict that we have, that we've ever had, has always been because someone in the conflict has self-seeking motives And behaviors. I need to be the most important person in the room. It's all about me. It's what I want. I don't care about what you want. Every one of our conflicts, every one of our arguments is around this idea of I'm more important than you. No argument has ever started this way that I know. No one has ever started an argument like this. You know what your problem is? James, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're too humble Like, you're too unifying, and you love Jesus in such a way that makes other people really love Jesus, and we're not going to stand for that anymore. Get out of here. Like, it's never started that way. An argument has never begun that way. No arguments. All of our arguments come because we're self-seeking. Think about how many fewer arguments we'd have if we'd say, I'm going to start looking at the interests of other people before my own. That's what Paul says. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, listen, he says, church, in your relationships with one another, he's talking to the church, so he's talking about us and our relationships in this room, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind set as Christ Jesus. See, the world will tell us to look out for number one. It always has and it always will. The world will tell us to look out for number one, but the Bible says this, the Bible says, listen, be like Jesus. Have the same mind as Jesus. So if you want to have the character of unity, which is really important, if you're going to have the character of unity, you should also have the character of humility. Because having the humble mindset of Jesus will change the way that you look at others. So you got to have both unity and humility. It's not just having the attitude of Christ. It's also having his posture. And so we adopt the humble mindset of Jesus. And humility is not just looking down on yourself. And it's really about looking up to others around you and asking them, how can I best serve you? How can I best serve you? Imagine what would it look like if you were more humble. Imagine what it would look like if you had humility in your home if you made humility a priority in your work, if you made humility a priority in your relationships, I can promise you that it would transform every one of those relationships. And how does Jesus model this? Like, we know that Jesus models humility, but how does he do it? Well, Paul tells us in verses five through 11, he says these words. He says again, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, so be like Jesus. And then here he goes. He says, who... Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Everybody say nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now pause right there. Just put your finger on verse 8. Because here's something that I realized in verse eight, that if it was really important for Jesus to become obedient to God, how much more is important is it for us to be obedient? He says, be obedient. And then verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of God the Father. This is a huge verse. Because here's what it says. It says, Jesus, who was God in flesh, would say to us, I'm not going to only walk in the ways uh, that says that I am just God. That I am going to walk in a way that says I am also human. And I am going to take on the very nature of a servant. See, Jesus modeled for us from the very beginning what a humble heart looks like. And it's a powerful passage that draws us a picture of the heart and the mind of Jesus. That if we would live like that, that if we would live with humility, that our lives would be transformed. And that we must get into this mindset of more of you, God, and less of me. More of you, and less of me the problem is or however we too often feel like humility is not something we need to work on but the truth is that God will not fill a vessel that is full of themselves just let that sink in for a minute that God will not fill a vessel that is full of themselves so we must empty ourselves out of our selfishness, of our self-seeking desires. We must empty ourselves out of our desire to be the most important person in the room. And we must make room for the humility of Christ to come and dwell within us. We must say, God, take it all. Take all of this self-love and get rid of it so that more of you can be a part of me. Paul goes on in verse 8, or he says in verse 8, he says he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus did the most self-giving thing that he could have ever done. And it was a theme throughout his life. This idea the self-giving love, it dominated Jesus' life. What would it be like if this self-giving love dominated our lives? Again, it would change your home life. It would change your work life. It would change every relationship that you are in. It would radically change everything. You would be viewed as someone who is carrying a purpose that is greater than anyone could ever understand. People begin to say, you know what? There's just something different about that Jenny Stone. There's just something different about Jeff. There's just something different about Chuck. There is something different about Chuck. There's just just (laughs) something different. about Christina, there's just something different. If we would adopt this idea of self-giving rather than self-loving, we would be marked as somebody different. So you just, want to, you just want to be a person that unifies. You just want to be a person that loves others above yourselves. You just want to be a person who's willing to sacrifice in a way that only Jesus would do. That when somebody looks at your life, they say, you know what? Your life reminds me of Jesus. Your life reminds me of Jesus. Your humbleness, your desire to love people, your desire to unify. So humility is something that's hard for us. We like to be important. We like the spotlight to be on us. And so I want to share with you just real quick, four quick tips for living a life of humility. And here's the first one. It's simply this. Take the uncommon high road. Take the uncommon high road. In our, in our house, we say live on the curb, not in the gutter. That's what we often said. Jen will remind me and I'll remind her uh, in conversations. Hey, are you taking the curb or are you are you living in the gutter? And so take the uncommon high road. The second thing that helps, a practical tip for humility is this, say only things that build others up. Say only what builds others up. It's so easy to tear people down. It's so easy to hurt people with our words. It's so easy to say things that, that make people feel low. But humility does the opposite. Humility only says things that build others up. Number three is accept criticism well without having to defend yourself. This is the one that I need the most work on in my humility, is taking criticism well without having this desire or this need to defend my actions or my reasons. So humility accepts criticism. And number four, give up the need to be right. Give up the need to be right because sometimes you might be wrong, right? Sometimes you might be wrong. So maybe our prayer becomes this. Maybe our prayer becomes, God, when I'm wrong, help me change. And when I'm right, make me easy to live with. Right? Like if we truly live in humility and love for one another, there will be no place for one-upping. There will be no place for tearing down. There will be no place for self-glory among God's people. Because the most important thing is, is that we live our lives like Jesus. You see, when we walk in our purpose, we're walking in unity and we're walking in humility. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you can relate to me, like oftentimes I get preoccupied with self. Like I get in my own head, right? And I I begin to start thinking, but I need to be more important. I start to think that my thoughts are more important, my views are more important, and I get preoccupied with myself. And Eugene Peterson, who is the author of the paraphrase, The Message, which is a paraphrase, not a translation, but a paraphrase of the Bible. And an author, he wrote these words. He said this. He said, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. Worship. I mean, imagine worship becoming a strategy that we use to take the spotlight off of ourselves to, to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and to put the focus on Jesus. And so this morning, I want to invite you. I want to invite you as we sing this closing song. I want to invite you to worship. And I want to invite you to take the spotlight off of yourself and to put your focus on the one who created you and loves you unconditionally. The worship team is gonna lead us in a song. It's called, Here's My Heart. And in this song, we're gonna sing these words over and over, and the words are this. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Speak what is true. Let me just invite you this morning, that as we sing, would you allow God's Spirit to come and to interrupt your preoccupation with yourself, to take the spotlight off of you and to place it onto Him so that He might speak truth in us. Because the reality is some of us may need to hear some truth from our Heavenly Father this morning. Some of us may need to hear the truth that you were wonderfully and fearfully made. I made you like you are because I love you. Some of you need to hear, when are you gonna stop wanting to be the most important person in the room? Some of you are gonna need to hear, you're not alone. I'm with you every step of the way. Some of you are gonna need to hear, you know what? You've been pretty divisively. And I need you to be more unifying. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to worship and to allow God to speak truth into your heart. And so I'm going to pray. And as I do, I'm going to invite you to come and to spend time at the altar before God. And spend time allowing God to speak truth into your heart. You can do it in your chairs, but I invite you if you want to come up here, spend time before the throne of God as we worship and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord, would you speak truth to me? Would you say the things I need to hear and could I hear them crystal clear? That I am loved, that I am chosen that I am free, that I am yours, that I'm not alone, that I'm important to you. Speak truth to me. So as I pray, you just come. As I'm praying, just come, spend time before the Lord. And then we're gonna stand together as I say amen. We're just gonna stand together and we're gonna worship. And we're gonna use it as a strategy to refocus from ourselves to the Lord. Would you pray with me, Father God? I thank you for today, God. I thank you, Lord, that that we can trust you, uh, that you are have this radical love for each of us. And Father, my prayer today is that as we declare these words, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart that you, Lord, would speak truth and to each and every one of us. God, maybe for some of us, that means there's some sin that we need to confess. Maybe you're just saying, you know what? If you just repent of that sin, I could come in and I could renovate your heart. But because you've got sin in there, I can't come to repent. Maybe for some of us, we're just broken. And God wants to come and speak truth in you that you're not a nobody, that you're not a has-been, that you're not uh, broken, that he can bring healing to you. Maybe some of you have been living like, I've gotta be the most important person in the room. And God's like, man, I just wanna be the most important person in your life. But you put away your selfishness and take on the character of humility. Let God speak to you as we worship him. Let him renovate your heart. Let him remodel you from the inside out. Just come with an attitude of God, whatever you want, whatever it's gonna take, you do whatever you want. Here's my life, Lord, it's yours. You do what you wanna do because you're the boss. Let's sing together, let's worship, you come and.